I want to take as my text this morning that first reading from Malachi's prophecy, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 954. Malachi chapter 3 and beginning at verse 6. And I'd like us to notice that again so it's fresh in our minds. Malachi chapter 3 and beginning at verse 6. God speaking through the prophet says, For I, the Lord, Yahweh God, do not change. And therefore, O children of Jacob, the people of God, you're not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And God said, will a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? You've robbed me in your tithes and contributions. And you are cursed with the curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so bring in the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so today we're wrapping up our annual stewardship series. And what we've been talking about this year, simply put, is biblical giving. Indeed, at Holy Cross, the Bible features large within our common life together, and I expect that most of us would say that the Bible and what it has to say about things really matters. And so what does the Bible have to say about giving and faithful financial stewardship? And assuming that the Bible does have something to say about giving, and it most certainly does, what would it then mean for us to become biblical givers? And so that's what we'll be considering together again today. Now, two weeks ago, as we were studying together 2 Corinthians, we learned that to, be, to, to give biblically is to give generously. And then last week, as we looked at Mark 12, we learned that to give biblically is to give sacrificially. And this morning, what I want us to see is that to give biblically is to give obediently, or to give faithfully. Now, obedience isn't a given, even amongst the people of God. Indeed, the people of God in Malachi's day were not obedient. And that was true even though God is faithful. So, it wasn't that that there was something wrong with God. There was something wrong with them. They were being disobedient to a faithful God. But notice verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. In fact, the word Lord here is the word Yahweh, which is the name for the covenant-keeping God. In fact, whenever God was doing covenant with His people and making promises to Him, He referred to Him as, as Yahweh, the God who is and always shall be. I am the Lord, I do not change. And since I don't change, <laughs> O children of, of Jacob, He's talking to His people, you're not consumed. <laughs> you probably deserve it. But because of who I am, you're not. Now in this context, and I think I've just touched on that, when it says that God never changes, it means that, that he's always faithful. He is a 
keeper of his promises. In fact, he is the original promise keeper. In the New English translation, to bring this out, it's translated, verse, uh, um, excuse me. Right, verse, verse 6. Verse 6 is translated, I the Lord, that is Yahweh, do not go back on my promises. So that's another way of putting it. As John Stott wrote in his book, entitled People, My Teachers, he said it is precisely because God is faithful that faith is reasonable. For there is no one more trustworthy than God. In fact, anyone who has entrusted their life to God knows that this is true. And there are no regrets. I've many times been disappointed with myself. I have never been disappointed with my God. And so God is faithful. But, as we said, the people in Malachi's day were not. They were not faithful to God, even though they were religious, interestingly enough. And they were not obedient. That is, they didn't keep God's commandments. Indeed, notice verse 7, the first half of it. God says to the people, For from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, his paraphrase of the Bible, quote, I have a, you have, God is saying to his people, you have a, lo- a long history of ig- ignoring my commandments. You haven't done a thing <laughs> that I've told you. And so the people of God in Malachi's day were not obedient. And when that is the case, because God is merciful, he doesn't just wipe us out, or judge us on the spot. Rather, he calls us to change. Indeed, notice again, verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. It's almost like Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray, wandered away from the shepherd that loves us. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And so return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And so God calls us to change. Of course, that's a difficult thing because what do people not like the most? In fact, when you're having a problem, do you think, well, I need to change or do you think everybody around you needs to change? I think, generally speaking, the latter is that it's not me, it's you. (laughs) And then we do that with God. But God in his mercy doesn't judge us or give us what we deserve, which is what mercy is. Rather, he calls us to change. Let me ask you something. Are you trying to get people who treat you badly to come back and be in fellowship with you? No, it's like good riddance to you. I'm glad they're not around. And yet God chases after the ones who don't do what he says and live in hostility with him. Turn to me. And so God calls us to change. That if we've been ignoring him and going on our way, he calls us, come back, return. It's another way of saying what in the New Testament is repentance. To turn around. To change your mind and stop going in that direction and come in this direction. Direction. 
He calls us to be faithful. I'm faithful to you. Be faithful to me. Let's be faithful to one another. He calls us to obedience. Because that's a natural relationship between creator and creation. I don't create myself. It's in God that I live and move and have my being. I don't bring myself into, into existence. I'm not the one who supports myself. I was out in California this last week. My grandmother is going to be 101 in November. And my grandfather died just in, in, 19, uh, in 2019, just 45 days shy of his 101st birthday. And my grandpa being who, I was, well, who, he, who he was, I went and visited him with the rest of the family just week, one week before he finally did pass away. And he went for about 30 days without eating or drinking because he was aspirating. And we would feed him with a spoon, this sort of gel that would provide some hydration. But uh, I said to him, Grandpa, I said, um, are you in pain or are you just tired? He says, yeah, I'm just tired. And then he said, well, I made it to 101. That's not too bad. But that's it. You make it to 101. And most people don't get anywhere near that. In fact, I think life expectancy in the United States just dropped this last few years. You're going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. We are finite and contingent. God is God and we are not. <laughs> and so to obey is natural. He's God and we're not. And everything he, he, he requires of us are all things that will make our lives just the way He always meant them to be. Although that doesn't seem like the case. But imagine a world without adultery. Maybe you, you've committed adultery. And well, didn't that make your life more simple? Or maybe you were the one who was cheated on. And didn't that make your, ha your life more happy? or stealing, or whatever it is, or even the first one that says, you shall have no other gods before me, because there aren't any other gods. And anything we make a god of is an idol that can never bear the weight of what we need God to be in our lives. And so God calls us to obedience, not just for Him. He doesn't need our obedience. He does it for us. We need to be obedient. Leslie Vernick in her book, How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. Have you ever seen a title like that? And it was a very interesting book, by the way. Very instructive. What I need to do. How I need to be a good spouse. But she wrote this. She said, some of us aren't growing spiritually simply because we aren't putting into practice the things that God is telling us to do. Let me read that again. Some of us aren't growing spiritually simply because we aren't putting into practice the things that God is telling us to do. And so God calls on us to obey. And this includes obedience to God with regard to faithful financial stewardship. Indeed, notice again verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? It's almost, I mean, it's a very interesting question. It all depends. And yet God says, and, and yet, you're robbing me. I mean, who could imagine such a thing? Can a man rob God? And yet you're robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you, Lord? And he says, in your tithes and contributions. The tithe is mine. 
and you keep it. Verse 9, and so you're cursed with the curse for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. The priests, the people, everyone. Verse 10, and so bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Into the temple. That there may be food in my house. That is the temple. The house you have, Jesus referred to that. You, you, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. He was referring to the temple. Bring into the temple, bring in, we would say the church, bring into the church what, what the church needs in order to do what it needs to do in order to glorify God and to speak on God's behalf. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby God says, put me to the test. <laughs> put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, or in the New Living Translation, the Lord of Heaven's armies. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down like rain for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so according to the Bible, to withhold the tithe is to defraud God because God says it belongs to Him. That's what it says in verse 8. Will a man rob God? You're robbing me. But you say, how have, you, have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. Indeed, the tithe belongs to God. Or the tenth, that's what in the Hebrew tithe means. A tenth. Ten cents on the dollar. God gives you everything. By the way, again, I was out in California. My grandmother, 101. Well, it's been years since she's been able to work. I'm getting a little bit older and I'm thinking, geez, you know, how, much, how many more work days have I got in me? But it sure takes a whole lot more energy doing the front and backyard than it did 14 years ago when I first moved here. What's the deal? Right? And there comes a time when, you know what? You can't do it anymore. It's all a gift from God, friend. You make money and you have the brains to do what you do and the health to do it because God gives that to you as a gift. And then, so all, of, all that God gives to you, He says, give me ten. He says, give me one and one in ten. I'm going to give you twelve apples and I'm going to ask you for one back. That's pretty good. I mean, even in, with the government, if you fall into the 10% tax bracket, you're like celebrating all the way till next April, right? God's just saying, give me one back. And the, that tithe belongs to God. In fact, in Leviticus, there's a law reference, the law of Moses. Leviticus uh, chapter 27, we read there, every tithe of the land, and they, they live in an agrarian society. We live in a monetary society, unless you're a farmer. But even farmers sell their goods. But I don't, I don't, I don't, have, I don't, have, I don't have sheep and land and, and crops. I have money. And so that's the same for you. Every tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or fruit of the trees, it's the Lord's. It's holy. Wow. It's holy. It's, it's holy because God sanctifies it. 
It's the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. And every tithe of the herd and flocks and every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be the Lord's. Now some people object to this and say, well, that's the law. We we're Christian. We're, we don't live legalistically. Well, maybe you might want to remember last week. Jesus commended the woman who gave 100% of what she had. So maybe... The tenth isn't so bad. Not only that, the concept of the tithe predates the law. In fact, it was the practice of the patriarchs. And so we read about Jacob in Genesis chapter 8 and beginning at verse 20. And we read, and then Jacob made a pledge, a vow to God saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. Then the Lord shall be my God. In fact, giving is a way of establishing. You're the Lord. You call the shots. You're God and I'm not. What do you want? It's yours. Then the Lord will be my God. And of all that you give me, Lord, Jacob said, I will give you a full tenth. It's not about law. It's about faith. And it's about worship, because worship always includes sacrifice. And so the tithe belongs to God. And God says to us through the prophet Malachi that to keep for ourselves what God says is his, is to bring a curse upon ourselves. Listen, I don't need that. I don't need to be cursed. It's almost like what we read in Proverbs, both in Proverbs and in the writings of Peter where he says that, that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. I don't need God opposing me. I want God blessing and strengthening. I don't want him chastising me. I want him, I want him directing me and guiding me and being a light to me, not a curse And the way in which we reverse the curse, this text says, is by obeying. If you're not obeying, God says, then return to me and obey. Notice again, verse 10. Bring the full tithe in. You haven't been doing it, but do it now. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. You think you're making some great sacrifice. This just the beginning of me blessing you in ways you've never been blessed before. That's what he's saying. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so to give the tithe is to obey God. And to give the tithe is to be blessed. Everyone who practices it knows that. The only people that don't know about it are the people who don't do it. I've been engaged in this practice and, and beyond the tithe since I was 18 and got my first job in a shoe store. In fact, instead of giving 10%, I set it at 20 because I was living at home and going to school and giving 10% of these meager wages that I was making at the, at the shoe store didn't seem to be enough. 
And so I gave more, and then I increased that while I was going. And I've told you a story recently about here I was giving a lot of, a lot of money away while I was also saving for Dallas Theological Seminary. And then I didn't have a place to stay, and the pit, Charles and Lois Pittman provided me a place to stay. I lived with them free of charge for four years. When I graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, I didn't know them one penny. Four years. I'm go, you go to Dallas Seminary, it's like going to college again. My daughter did a master's degree in a year and a half. Mine was four years. It's like going to college again. And God provided. In the New Revised Standard Version, verse 10 is translated this way. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven like, like rain for you and pour down on you an overflowing blessing. You give me the tithe and I'll give you more than you need. <laughs> and I've told you before... I, our, our practice is to give 10% to the church and 5% to various different ministries, both domestic and international. A few years back, as I was contemplating, Jesus was saying, uh, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive, as it's recorded in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. And I thought, wow, it's more, more blessing to give. Well, what if I gave gross rather than net? That just automatically puts me a little higher. And I'm telling you, it's embarrassing the way God does. I haven't gone without any basic need, and I have so many luxuries, even while practicing this. And whatever I wasn't able to do with my own funds, God has provided in extraordinary ways. Now, I'm not saying this like they do on TV, you know, if you sow this seed, God, because, because m many, of the, many of the blessings that I've enjoyed and Linda has enjoyed and Victoria has enjoyed in our lives are not monetary. They're other blessings. And we all know that we need more in life. And that's what, was Jesus, that's, what was, that's what Jesus was saying in our gospel reading today. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Let it go so that you can really live. Because money <laughs> can't give you true life. In fact, I think it was Jim Carrey, the comedian, who said, everybody should get rich and famous to find out that it doesn't work. That it's not enough. And that is the testimony of a man who had both. The NIV verse 10 translates it this way. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. It's a, it's a, a metaphor, a reference to rain. And we know a lot about rain in Texas, at least this part of it. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Or Peterson in the message, bring your full tithe to the temple treasury. As we would say to the worship center, the church. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. 
And so the question is not whether or not God will bless because God will bless and God does bless. And everyone who's practicing faithful financial stewardship knows that that's true. It's like Proverbs 11 and verse 24. It doesn't make any sense, but what God says oftentimes doesn't really make any sense. Or that is to say it's not, it's not in accordance with conventional thought our conventional wisdom. Jesus said the way up is the way down. The way to be filled is, the, is to be empty. The way to get what you need is to give it away. <laughs> and so we read in Proverbs 11 and verse 24. It's a little plug for reading the Old Testament. Proverbs 11 and verse 24. One gives freely and, gr- and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And so the question is not whether or not God will bless because God will bless and he does bless and every faithful giver knows that. The question is whether we will obey or not obey. And to those who do obey, they discover that God's promise is true. And that this is face reward. And someone has written, one never discovers that God is worthy of trust until he or she takes a risk and trusts him. Faith is rewarded only as we trust God and act upon what he's telling us to do. To me, this is so exciting. And if you get it under your belt, and I tell people, well, you know, if you don't have that under your belt, you're going to have to just take God's word for it, that you will be blessed. Because you can't, even, you can't even wrap your head around it. You can't imagine how I could possibly get by giving. How I could possibly be filled up by emptying. How I could possibly be exalted by abasing myself in humility. But that's exactly the way that God works contrary to conventional thought and wisdom. And so you're just going to have to take it by faith. But I want to encourage you, even if it seems counterintuitive to you, in fact it is, Just do it, (laughs) and you will be blessed. (laughs) I guarantee it. It has nothing to do with me. I just want you to know what I know. Of course, faith can be a scary thing. That's, I think, in our prayer earlier, I was just, as I was praying, I was thinking about that man who said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And maybe that's where you are with this. And so faith can be a scary thing, especially when we're talking about trusting God with our finances. But the only way to experience the blessing and reward of faithful financial stewardship is to trust God and do what he says. Jennifer Rothschild, in her book, Lessons I Learned in the Dark, was very, very meaningful. Jennifer Rothschild lost her eyesight when she was 17. That's what she's talking about, lessons I learned in the dark. She said, true faith is facing your fears and acting on what you know is right and finding faith's reward. And so I want to encourage you this morning to obey God. And if you're not already, I I want to encourage you to become a biblical giver. I want to encourage you to go on and take the leap of faith if that's what it requires and to give God his tithe and if you do I guarantee even from personal experience and I'm not the only one who lives this way you'll never regret it 
and you'll never be the same. Indeed, you'll be blessed in ways that you never thought you could be blessed. You'll be filled with a sense of freedom, what the Bible describes as joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? Let us pray. It's an expression of gratitude, Lord. It's an expression of understanding that you're the Lord. <laughs> and it's a joyous thing to live in that, to live and to play in the pocket. Right where you want us to be, to be in the lane that you, you call us to, to be, as Jesus described it, the narrow road that leads to life. Maybe there's not lots of people who do it, but those who are on it are on the road that leads to life. And what's so wonderful, Lord, is that you, you give us a taste, indeed a foretaste of that life, even now. To think that when we come into the kingdom and you, when you take up residence with us, even on the earth that you've made, that it can be even better than this. It's just an extraordinary thought. And so help us now, even as we're heading in that direction, in the midst of life's fragility, and so many things that we can't count on in the world, knowing that you are a firm rock upon which we can stand. And when we're standing on that rock, and we're doing as you wish, and as you direct, as a loving Father would only do, we can stand only to be blessed in the way that only you can bless. And so bless us this day, we pray. And may you be pleased with our hearts and our minds and our actions because you are worthy of nothing less. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.